wild day one of the MLB draft. Let's talk about it. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on in to Locked on MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, freelance baseball writer and podcaster. Thank you for making this your first listen every single day. We're probably part of the Locked on Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. And today's episode is made possible by our friends at Sleeper. Download the Sleeper app, use promo code Locked On, and you'll get a $100 match on your first deposit. Terms and conditions apply. See Sleeper's terms are used for details. Currently operational in over 30 states. Check out Sleeper today. So, day one of the MLB draft is done. Uh, You may have noticed we did three hours live on YouTube for the first round, longer than we thought it was going to be. And so, I want to talk about some of the trends in the draft, things I noticed, some of the the best day ones, some of the worst day ones, uh, and some of the biggest stories. And no bigger story in this MLB draft than... The very top of the draft, Dylan Cruz, the assumed number one overall pick all year, going into the year was a number one, does not get drafted at number one. Uh, Dylan Cruz ends up going number two to the Washington Nationals. Right-hand pitcher Paul Skeens of LSU goes number one to the Pittsburgh Pirates. This This is a scenario where I'm glad that The Pirates didn't mess this up. A lot of the story entering the day was that the Pirates were going around and offering below-slot deals to whoever would sign. They were negotiating to try to figure out who was going to go number one overall. Now, the rumor for a while has been that Dylan Cruz wanted $10 million for a signing bonus. Now, for context, the highest signing bonus we have seen in the MLB draft up until this year was just over $8 million, and that was from Spencer Torkelson from the Tigers. Uh, Now, with the new CBA, some of the draft slots were different for this year, and so the number one pick, $9.7 million with the Pirates. Number two pick, eight point nine with the Nationals. Number three was eight point three with the Tigers. You see how it falls pretty dramatically. Rangers was 7.7 at four. Twins was 7.1 at five. All the way down until you get to Pick 12, and you're already just over $5 million. Escalates kind of significantly at the very top. So reportedly, early reporting from Sunday night was that Paul Skeens agreed for somewhere around $9.25 million. You'll remember I said last week, there's a scenario where Paul Skeens, instead of being taken at number two by the Nationals for $9 bucks, goes at number one, he goes under slot, but he still makes more money than he would have made at number two. In this case, $9.25 million is $250,000 more than he would have made at number two. Uh, Dylan Cruz, represented by Scott Boris, who has a relationship with the Nationals, we would assume the fact that they took him at two means they think or they know that they're going to, in fact, sign him for that $10 million. So the Nationals pay extra to get Dylan Cruz. Skeens goes one. The rest of the top five went chalk based off of what we think of the, that tier one of five guys up there. Max Clark and Walker Jenkins, the preps, go three and five to the Tigers and Twins. And Wyatt Langford from Florida goes four to the Rangers. Rangers have to be happy about that. They look like they were not going to be stuck with, but they were going to, the board was going to shake out to have one of those preps 
to them at four. Instead, they get a college bat who should get to the majors sooner rather than later. But to me, the big story of this draft is not necessarily Cruz over Skeens because we had this thought that that was going to happen, right? Like that's that's something where we've seen it talked about for weeks now, it felt like all of the mock drafts that came out over the weekend had uh, somebody that was not Dylan Cruz at one. Now, a lot of them thought it was going to be Wyatt Langford, but everybody had not Dylan Cruz at number one. So that's not the biggest story. To me, the biggest story here is actually the shortstops. So shortstop is a good way to judge the quality of a draft class, right? And the idea here is you're most likely to get prep shortstops simply because the best athletes, the best shortstops are drafted out of high school versus going to college. Now, uh, you do see college shortstops and there were quite a few. Matter of fact, the first five First five shortstops off the board were all college shortstops. And reminder, the college hitters in this class were so amazing because in 2020, all of those guys that were prep shortstops went to college because the draft was only five rounds. But you saw 14 of your 39 first round picks, if you count the compensatory and all that. 14 of your 39 picks were shortstops. 36% of your first round were shortstops, and it's kind of absurd, right? So uh, one of them goes in the top 10. Jacob Wilson of Grand Canyon goes to the Oakland A's at six, and I'm going to get to Oakland's draft later. Don't worry about that. I'm gonna, we're going to talk about Oakland's draft. But then after that, there was like 11 through 39, 13 more come off the board, and it's a bunch of college guys, right? And obviously, not everybody's going to stick at shortstop. A lot of guys are going to kick into second or out to third or maybe even to center field. But looking in that run of college players, because you had 10 college guys taken in 12 picks in the middle of the first round. Uh, Tommy Troy of Stanford, 12 to the Diamondbacks, probably a second baseman. Uh, Matt Shaw of Maryland to the Cubs. Probably a second baseman or a center fielder, but goes to 13. Jacob Gonzalez of Old Miss at 15 to the White Sox. Probably sticks it short. Braden Taylor of TCU at 19 to the Rays. Probably a third baseman. Uh, prep Arjun Nimbala uh, of, goes to the Blue Jays at 20. The prep guy, to me, sidebar real quick, probably the biggest drop that I was not expecting. Now, every, every draft has a drop, right? Every draft has somebody who falls down the board. But we had Namala as the number one prep shortstop entering the draft. He was young for the class. He had just turned 17. I don't think he turns 18 until like October, November, December, something like that. And so his full season of baseball in 24, he's only going to be 18 years old. A lot of teams like that in their models because one, developmentally, you've got more physical development to be assumed out of that profile because he's younger. But then two, the difference in under and over 18 at draft time buys you one additional year before a rule five decision. So before you have to put him on the 40 man roster, you have one more year to make that decision. Uh, but then he was believed to have potential 70 grade raw power, right? Something where, yes, he's got swing and miss. Every prep player has swing and miss, but plus arm above average speed and athleticism should be able to stick it short. Didn't think he'd fall to 20 to B Toronto, but he falls to 20 to Toronto. So surprising there. After that, 
uh, is like he was the start of the run on the preps, right? 22, Colt Emerson probably going to end up at second base, but Colt Emerson to the Mariners at 22. George Lombard Jr. goes to the Yankees at 26. Aiden Miller to the Phillies at 27. These are all prep guys. Bryce Matthews of Nebraska to the Astros at 28. Another sneaky good pick. Super strong. Uh, was a quarterback, played quarterback at Nebraska. Like it was the, the Division One starting quarterback before he committed the full, uh, baseball full-time. So at 28 there, and then Ty Pete to Seattle at 30, another prep player situation where they're just buying high-ceiling preps with their extra money because they have three first-round picks. Uh, 31, Adrian Santana, local kid from Duval County in Florida goes to Tampa Bay at 31. Colin Houck from uh, Georgia goes to the Mets at 32. And then Kevin McGonigal goes to Detroit Tigers at 37. So 14 shortstops in the first round. I'm pretty sure it's a record. I don't have the exact stats because we're kind of going on vibes here. I did three hours of a live show. Forgive me on this. But pretty sure it's a record and kind of shows you when you combine the 2020 weirdness, you get all those college guys, plus the usual, it's a good prep shortstop class. Anyway, you get this many guys. Uh, kind of wild. Other interesting things, I mean, yeah, we talked about Namala falling, the Mariners three guys, but those were the big storylines that stood out to me, the prep shortstop class. In just a minute, let's talk about the best drafts on day one. We'll get to that next right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at BetterHelp. Uh, therapy is a useful thing for a lot of people. Not everybody is comfortable going to therapy. Not everybody is uh, comfortable discussing some of these things. But in life, we're sometimes faced with tough choices, and the path forward isn't always clear. Perfect example, some of these kids, some of these prep shortstops are going to have to decide, do I sign with this MLB team or do I go to college? I mean, example right there. Whether you're dealing with decisions around your career, your relationships, anything else, therapy helps you stay connected to what you are really looking for to navigate life so you can move forward with confidence and excitement. Uh, and the whole thing about, it's, it's about trusting yourself to make decisions that align with your values. Uh, if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. A couple reasons why it's a great option. One, it's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. Uh, two, you just fill out a brief questionnaire and you get matched with a licensed therapist. And if for some reason you guys don't vibe, because that's a big deal, you can sw uh, swap therapists at any time for no additional charge. So visit BetterHelp.com slash LockedOnMLB to get 10% off your first month today. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash LockedOnMLB. Okay, so some of the drafts that I really liked. And uh, full disclaimer here, I'm a Braves fan, so I'm going to say the Braves, even though I'm really only excited about the first pick, Hurston Waldrop of Florida. I love, I love the idea of getting a guy with the traits like that into Atlanta's system and what they can necessarily do. Um, Drew Hackenberg from Virginia Tech, their second rounder, feels like a sinker slider kind of ground ball guy. The ceiling's kind of lower on those. Not sure um, why necessarily they went with that, but obviously... These teams are smarter than me. But no, uh, the guys that we actually, the things we're actually impressed about. Let's talk about the, uh, the, let's talk about the Cincinnati Reds, okay? So I love what the Reds did because 
if you think about it, they went in really heavy on hitters, and they have found some very high-ceiling bats. I mean, Ellie De La Cruz is killing things in MLB. He stole three bases in the same inning in the span of like two pitches, including home. He gets on first, he steals second, and then the next pitch he steals third, realizes they're not watching him, and takes home like right after it. It's nuts. So they did that. They turn around here, they get at pick number seven, they get Wake Forest righty Rhett Louder, one of the more polished and complete pitchers in this draft, because we've talked about this, Wake Forest does a good job of developing their guys. So uh, fastball, fantastic changeup, has a slider, should move through that system quickly. To go along with that, they turn around at 38, and they get Ty Floyd from LSU. We talked about him uh, last week on Wednesday's show as a super high, like super quick riser up in the rankings because of what he did in Omaha. 17 strikeouts in their opening round uh, or in his first start. And a guy with a fantastic fastball. So it looks like he can spin a curveball really well. The, the Reds are very good at developing pitchers and they can do it rather quickly. And so they get a guy in Rhett Louder that should be able to move kind of fast. They turn right around after that and they get a guy um, in, in Ty Floyd that's got a ton of fantastic traits and should be able to move through the system rather quickly once they get him set. They follow that up in the second round with prep shortstop Sammy Stafura. Uh, somebody, we don't see a lot of cold weather shortstops or a lot of cold weather uh, guys in general, but looks like he has plus power to all fields. More so brute strength than it is bat speed, but definitely things that they can work with. Uh, and it's something where looks like he can stick long-term at short. So it gives you a lot of options. He's committed to Clemson. They're going to buy him out of that. Probably going to save a little bit of money um, on either Louder or Floyd to do that. But love what the Reds did. You look at the Chicago Cubs. Um, Matt Shaw is the only pick they had today. They've uh, picked number, pick number 13. But, oh my goodness. So what I love about Matt Shaw is I had him as, I think, a top 10 talent on the board here. One of the better hitters, rarely strikes out, draws tons of walks, makes hard contact, can drive the ball to all fields, has a ton of versatility. He's played second, he's played third, he's played outside. I'm sorry, he's played outfield. He did it all at the Cape, looked really good at the Cape as well. And so lots of versatility here, does a lot of stuff, can play a lot of different positions. I love the drafting of Matt Shaw. The Rays did some really interesting stuff. They went out of character a little bit, and then they went right back to character. So Braden Taylor, they take him out of TCU, the third baseman. Listen, as a shortstop. He's a third baseman. They take him at 19 in the first round. Uh, and it's a guy designed to get him power, right? Uh, doesn't have a true plus tool. He's just above average at everything. Was an all-star at the Cape in 2021. Played for the U.S. national team last year. Uh, something where speed is necessarily, it's fine. He has some versatility in how he uses the bat. He can sell out for power a little bit, sacrifice some batting average, or he can focus on contact. So if you can go, like he has TCU's career home run record, despite not being a plus power guy. So the defense is going to be good at third base. He can give you power if you want it, if you can build some more stuff into uh, his frame. And he's, he's younger and more projectable than a lot of college hitters, so you have some growth there. He's a guy that you can build into plus power and give you good defense at third. Colton Ledbetter in the second out of Mississippi State is a is a 
a fourth year outfielder. So save a little bit of money there on the one and a half million dollar slot, but a guy that should be able to give you some pretty good power, not a super great defender, probably going to end up as a corner outfielder arm is a little fringy, might be confined to left versus right, but uh, lefty swing can get power, does really good against all kinds of pitches, saw it for a couple of years in the SEC. And then between those two guys at 31 overall in the competitive balance round, Adrian Santana, shortstop out of Doral Academy in South Florida. Tons, tons of range. I mean, the rangiest shortstop in the entire draft. A true shortstop, probably one of the better defenders in here. And so what I love is the Rays... I said this in the live show, the Rays were the team that really introduced the shift to everybody. And then they go out in 2023 and they get Adrian Santana, who is like the, like the best defender in the draft that doesn't need the shift because he's got a mile of range. The question is how much power is he going to hit for? How is he going to be able to hit for power or is it just going to be uh, average? Is he going to be like 280 with 10 home runs a year and plus defense, which Honestly, you would take that in a heartbeat. And so I love the pick of Adrian Santana. Lots of options you can do there. You're looking at four years till he gets to the bigs, four to five years. By then, you may have to move Wander Franco to third. Wander Franco, uh, this could resolve itself completely. So I loved that pick there. Um, the Reds, the Rays, we talked about that. The Jays, getting Arjun Namala, thought that was a good move. The Houston Astros. So the Houston Astros go out there, they get... Bryce Matthews out of Nebraska. Uh, Shortstop was a uh, starting quarterback at Nebraska. Like, tons of strength, tons of athleticism, tons of power. I could see him being a 25 home run guy. If he doesn't play uh, shortstop, he can play second. I think the accuracy on the arm is a little iffy. He's got really good speed. I could see him in center field as well. So lots of options for him. But a guy that didn't commit fully to baseball until just recently. So... Where does the athleticism when he's focusing just on baseball take him? This is a trick. This is Dana Brown at work here. Dana Brown, GM of the, of the um, Astros, came from the Atlanta Braves, and the Braves love to take multi-sport athletes and put them just in baseball. So this, has its, this looks just like a classic Braves pick from the last couple of years. There's your Dana Brown fingerprint right there. And then after that, Alonzo Treadwell, the pitcher out of UCLA. Uh, only was in college because he had Tommy John in his draft year. But uh, six foot eight run the, can run the, the fastball up to 96. And when he's healthy, looks great. Had some back issues, so had, had some injuries. The talent is the talent of a first round guy, but you've had injuries. You're probably getting him at a discount here uh, for $1.3 million at pick 61. Big fan of that. In just a minute, Let's talk about some of the draft picks that uh, we didn't love and some of the day ones that we didn't love. We'll do that next right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Sleeper. If you want to win 100 times your money on Daily Fantasy Baseball, Sleeper is the app for you. They're offering up to a 100 times payout on up to eight pick contests. So this is daily fantasy baseball. The way this works, you choose as many as eight players that you like. You pick more or less on whatever your favorite baseball stat is. It could be home runs, strikeouts, hits, whatever it might be. You get your picks right, you can win big. There's what it's fun about Sleeper is there's built-in group chat functionality. So like 
I can just copy my picks and send them to my friends and be like, hey, I'm better than you at this. And me and my friends like to actually make little competitions where we will see who who has a like a better winning percentage and we track it. We can send our bets right to each other. If I find something great, a great money thing, I can send it to them. If we disagree on a guy, I can go find a relevant bet and say, hey, I'll take one side, you take the other. Let's see who's right. So maybe not the biggest sample size to prove who's right, but it's always fun to play with. What's great about Sleeper, use promo code locked on. Sleeper is going to match your first deposit up to $100. It's 100% instant deposit match up to $100. So don't forget to enter promo code locked on on sign up for the instant deposit match up to $100. Time to talk about the picks we didn't like. Um, let's talk about the Oakland A's. I don't know what the Oakland A's are doing. I got to be honest. I, this, this draft for Oakland is very confusing for me. So they are picking at six. And yes, we talked about this plenty, that at six, you are not able to take a guy in that first tier of five players unless somebody uh, gets skipped, somebody falls, whatever. So that's fine. I get that. But it like so but think about Oakland. What do they need, right? Oakland, they don't hit for a lot of power. They have a bad ballpark for that anyway. They're going to a new ballpark. We have no idea how it's going to play. Uh, they need arms that are good, right? They need uh, power. They don't have a lot of power. I think their home run leader was Ryan Noda. They're starting a center fielder and a story Ruiz who has, I think, one home run on the season. Like they need power. So at six overall. They go and take shortstop Jacob Wilson from Grand Canyon. Now, his dad was an all-star. He's got bloodlines. That's fine. Um, he almost rare, like he rarely strikes out. Okay. I, I, I want to say the stat they had on the ESPN broadcast, he had like 20 strikeouts combined between sophomore and junior years. Like, okay, that's fine. But he literally doesn't have any other tool other than the hit tool, right? Uh, it's, I mean, it's, he hit 12 home runs last year in college. He plays in Arizona, the driest place in the United States with the least humidity where the ball flies the farthest and he hit 12 home runs and he did it at a low level of competition, right? So speed, fringe to average. It's not great. The defense, he's probably not going to stick it short. The arm is average to above average. It's just something where like to me, you're banking on the hit tool working out because he doesn't have anything else. The defense is average. You're going to find a better defender than him. So do you kick him out to third base because he doesn't have the power profile for a corner? Do you kick him into second? I mean, he, the, the, the range is fine. The arm is fine, but it's just at six overall, you need a guy who can make more of an impact than that. You're paying $6.6 million. That's the slot value for the number six overall pick. And Jacob Wilson is what you come out of. It just feels like it's a, it's a waste. And then to double up on that, uh, at pick 39, the last pick in the first round, they take Miles Naylor, the third of the Naylor brothers. Now, uh, I hosted the draft show with Jeff Ellis from Locked On Guardians. Obviously, uh, Josh and Bo, uh, you know, he's familiar with both of the older brothers. And this is something where, like, Miles Naylor doesn't have Josh Naylor's power. He doesn't have Bo Naylor's hit tool. He's just like, he's fine. Like he's, he's perfectly average. He's an average runner, probably going to slow down a little bit. 
defense can't stick it short. Probably going to kick out the third base. The arm is good enough for third. He needs some, he has some accuracy work to do, but like the arm is good enough for third. It's just, to me, like there's something, he's got some raw power when he pulls it, but you haven't really seen it in games. Obviously, he's got the swing and miss issues that most preppers have, breaking stuff, things like that. And so it's just a guy that has a decent hit tool, but like there's no carrying tool here. And I understand the idea of, of we like the bloodlines. We like the fact that he's a decent hitter and he's well-rounded, but he doesn't have any carrying tool. He's not exceptional in anything. And contrast what they did at 39 with a team like the Mariners, who had three first-round picks. And I had assumed and talked about they were going to take um, they were going to take a college guy with one of those three to save some money to get two high ceiling prepsters. And instead, they just go three lottery ticket prepsters, guys that could have high ceilings, but could have low floors. And it's like, if any of those three guys pans out, they're a better major league piece than either or both these guys. And so it's just the continuation to me of what's felt like bad personnel decisions by the Oakland A's. Uh, the return for Matt Olson, it wasn't great. They got some Wake Forest pitchers, actually, that aren't doing well. Jared Schuster and uh, uh, Ryan Cusick um, and Kyle Muller. They go and they get Christian Pache, who's already been DFA'd and is now playing for the Phillies. And then you turn around, they do the Sean Murphy deal with Atlanta, which also does not have a great return. Yes, they get his Jerry Ruiz, but like they got at best the third best player from that trade. Like, what are you doing? And then you combine that with these two picks, which really felt more so than anything, like missed opportunities to get impactful players. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I, I don't get it. The other team that I wasn't thrilled with the picks uh, and really, it was just the one. They only had one pick. But the Los Angeles Angels, at pick 11, they take uh, Florida Atlantic product Nolan Shanwell. So played some outfield, played some first base. Uh, I have did not look good in, in the Cape Cod League. So you know, understand that. Had a good 2023, but it's something where he is, he had 16 home runs in his, in his final year, which... Playing for a low-level competition isn't necessarily great. 6'4", 220. He's not athletic enough, I feel like, to be a long-term starter at in, like in right field or at third base. Uh, it's something where he struggled every time he's had a wood bat. And it, it feels like if you're lost... Like, I know the Angels like to take guys that can move quickly. Zach Neto made the bigs relatively quickly. Ben Joyce made the big leagues relatively quickly. Like, that's their thing. It doesn't feel like he's that guy because he has to, like, he played at a lower level of competition. Now, I say that Zach Neto was at Campbell, and a year later he was in the bigs, but Zach Neto had a much better hit tool. And I feel like they probably had the same power potential, but he had a much better hit tool and provided value on defense, where Shannon not doing that. And it just, like, it's a perfectly fine pick to make at 31, but at 11, there's guys on this board that could help you sooner. Matt Shaw would give you a lot of versatility as far as you could put him at second base, outfield, whatever you needed. Uh, I mean, there was Enrique Bradfield would give you a center fielder so Mike Trout didn't have to run so much. Uh, you could have taken Jacob Gonzalez from Old Miss. You could have taken some arms like a Hurston Waldrop. Stuff like, it just felt like there were so many better options than what they did 
with Nolan Shen will add 11. And so ultimately a little frustrated with what the Angels did. I felt like this is this was probably your last chance ideally to be picking this high and you got a guy that at best is going to be a first baseman or third baseman for you. Like it's not I understand the versatility of Yes, you need somebody who can cover both. You DFA Jared Walsh, I believe you DFA'd him. Um, you uh, you have an incredibly like an incredibly hurt third baseman who's never on the field, but just felt like he could have done better than this. And so, a little disappointed in what the Angels did. Hopefully, they can make it up. They can save some money here. I'm hoping they save a lot of money here. Two million dollars slot value is five and a quarter million. Let's save a million and a half here and go get some high high ceiling preps in rounds three and four. But either way, uh, more draft coming up rounds two uh, three through ten are on Monday. We'll recap those on Tuesday's show. We're going to record late night on Monday to try to get those in. And then so on this week. Stick with us for that. In the meantime, remember, it's always a great time to pay a minor leaguer.